I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Tomorrow is the Feast of the Holy Rosary, and so we're going to spend today talking about this prayer, this prayer that as a convert, when I first came into the church, I was very uncomfortable with. Um, I've got all kinds of stories about my progression and and uh, evolution of position on the rosary, and we'll get to one or two of those. But as a, as a young convert, and even really before I fully entered the church, one of those questions was, well, am I going to have to pray the rosary? Right. Is this is this like part of the day fide of of the Catholic Church? And uh, I was assured that that it was not that it was a uh, is even though it's a popular devotion, it was still a private devotion. And so um, that was that was enough for me at the time. And yet now on this side of it, I've come to see just how beautiful and comforting and powerful of a prayer it is. Uh, I, I threw out this little question on Twitter earlier this week. Uh, tell me a rosary story. How do you practice it? What are the things that you do? Um, are you one who goes through the mysteries every single time? Or do you do specific prayer intentions for your rosary? Or what's your specific practice of it? Or maybe a time that was very influential, something that you remember uh, closely. And uh, Twitter has been hit or miss for me. Maybe I'll put something out and I might get a like, or someone may give me a comment. So, you know, I I threw it out there into the world and I had a couple of people that I was interested in hearing from, uh, many of them who have been guests on the show. I tagged a few of them and uh, thinking I might get one of them to respond to me, but I was blown away by the response. Uh, Over 200 people responded in, in one way or another, talking about their love for the rosary and, and what specific thing was stood out to them, maybe a specific time of praying it or a specific practice in praying it. And one of my favorite ones uh, of all of them was from, and I might be butchering this name, I apologize if so, was from uh, Karina Tabone. And she said this, As a single person, I prayed the rosary. But as a new mom, I found that absolutely impossible to do. Yet I yearned to have some semblance of prayer life. And that meant the rosary to me. But praying with my daughter seemed impossible. Anyway, one day I was trying to pray the rosary with her and failing miserably. I noticed that while the beads didn't entrance her, the little booklet that I had with pictures of each mystery captured her attention. The problem, it was too short. So I started making a book of illustrations for each and every prayer of the rosary with religious art so that we could both enjoy it. Uh, and so that those books are available uh, at Illustrated Prayer. Com. I've taken a look at it. It's just beautiful art, uh, very simply typeset with, uh, with the prayer of the rosary. And it's a wonderful thing, whether you have a child in your lap you're trying to occupy or, or even something for you to orient yourself in that mystery uh, using the beauty of art. Uh, I highly encourage you to go take a look at this, uh, illustratedprayer.com, as a way to help you in your prayer of the rosary. My own experience with the rosary was slow in coming. Uh, I recall my cousin a couple of years before I became Catholic, maybe even a little bit longer than that, uh, had this beautiful rosary in their their parish um, little store there. And I had my eye on it just because it was lovely. And uh, he told me that he would give it to me if I agreed to pray it. 
and so of course um, I said yes I was willing to to explore this and to try it out and he gave it to me and I maybe prayed it two or three times uh, in the course of a couple of years because I was a little uncomfortable with the the repetition of it I didn't understand that there was um, I, d- I didn't really know about the mysteries I didn't understand that there was something behind these prayers that we pray and so for me it was the mechanics how do what prayer do I pray on what bead and I didn't necessarily see the outcome of it uh, I didn't see what the purpose of it was and uh, and so that was kind of my impression even as I entered the church it was this idea of well I'm not obligated to pray the rosary in order to be a Catholic in order to be a good Catholic and so I'm just going to stick with de fide and leave these other things to other people. And that was kind of my expectation uh, in all of this. But in coming into the Catholic Church, one of the things that happened to me is that I left my career. I had spent years in, in ministry in the Protestant Church. And so becoming Catholic meant leaving behind uh, not only my specific job, but any of the uh, of the the momentum that I had in a career and leaving it behind. And so I spent about eight months uh, out of work entirely. And I recall towards the end of that time, um, feeling a little bit heartsick. you know, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. And I had had hopes over and over again about specific positions that had fallen through. And I remember one night sitting down uh, on the edge of the bed and asking my wife, if she would come and pray with me. And we pulled out our rosaries and it was the luminous mysteries. And specifically at that time, I was looking to be involved in marriage ministry. And of course the wedding at Cana is right there in the middle of, of those mysteries. And so we're praying these mysteries and meditating on them and really in putting ourselves in the middle of that story. And instead of it just being about Oh, Jesus did this a long time ago. It was, Jesus, you you did these miracles for these people at this time in their need. And here we are in our need, and we need you. And I remember even as the words came out of my mouth, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Just this wave of peace rolled down over me. And I can't think of a time since then that that's not been the case, where as soon as the words come out of my mouth, Hail Mary, I feel Mary's maternal care there with me, and I feel the strength of her intercessions. And so I encourage you, make the rosary a part of your life. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, apparently that's where the action is. Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Come over there and tell me a rosary story of your own. Today, we're going to be talking with Father Edward Looney about his new book, A Rosary Litany, available on Our Sunday Visitor. It's a great conversation. You're not going to want to go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
And tomorrow is the Feast of the Holy Rosary. I went out to Twitter and asked several of you what your rosary practices were. And normally I get like uh, maybe one or two replies. And and so what what I will say is inundated uh, won't necessarily be inundated for those of you who are popular on Twitter. <laughs> but we had a, a flood of people come in and talk to us about their experiences praying the rosary. And uh, along that same time, into my mailbox comes this new little litany uh, from our Sunday visitor. Uh, it's a rosary litany by our guest today, Father Edward Looney, uh, who is a priest in the uh, in the Diocese of Green Bay. Uh, Father, does that mean that you're a cheesehead? Of course it does, yes. I actually went to the game where Aaron Rodgers made this miraculous comeback on the opening weekend against the Chicago Bears, so a diehard Packer fan. I'm sure that was a Hail Mary pass. As uh, well, <laughs> yes, there, there, there were a few Hail Marys, and hopefully the people in, in the crowd were praying them because we came out victorious. Uh, speak, this is neither here nor there, but uh, at the Super Bowl, there there was a trending tag on Twitter um, about uh, Super Bowl and the convent. And one of the sisters asked another, why do they call it a Hail Mary pass? And the other sister said, because you can pray a whole, Mar- a whole Hail Mary in the time that it's in the air. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's really the reason, but it made me chuckle. So you, um, you grew up uh, with a Marian devotion. You, from a young age, you spent time developing this relationship with Mary. Talk a little bit about how you experienced that as a child and, and maybe give us an idea as parents of how we can help foster that same devotion in our children. Sure. You know, it's something that never really probably should have happened. Like you look at my family life or background situation and you'd be like, how did he ever turn out to be a priest being faith filled all this stuff? Because my mother didn't really practice the faith. uh, And my father had left before I was even born. So my mother was living with my grandmother and it's really my grandmother is the uh, reason for all of it is uh, she was very devoted. She took me to Mass on Sundays, on uh, daily Mass during the summer. I started serving Mass, all these different things. And uh, that's really how my faith was developed, was from the, the witness and the, the love of my own grandmother. And uh, going to Mass then uh, during the summer, they would pray the rosary afterwards. And it was just kind of something we did. We stayed, we prayed the rosary. And uh, yeah, just always have had a love for Mary. I started reading books about Mary. I think one of the very first books I ever read was Budden McFarland's Pierced by a Sword, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a novel and uh, about the miraculous medal, ultimately, what was the main theme of the book. And uh, But all throughout high school, read books on Mary. There was a, a, a lady from my parish who was very devoted to, and she led pilgrimages to different places. And... Uh, she took me on one of these pilgrimages to a Marian shrine, and there I really experienced the love of God in a very profound way. I saw the church fully alive. I saw all these people at Mass and going to confession and praying, and uh, really, Mary has led me all along the way to Jesus, to the priesthood, and uh, yeah, so it's been a lifelong devotion for sure. Now, a lot of people think of uh, the rosary after mass or before mass, depending on on the parish, as as something that children are uncomfortable with or can't sit still for, or can't focus for. 
And yet you, you cite that as one of the profound influences in your, in your formative years. Uh, how would you encourage parents uh, to, to help their children engage with the rosary? And, and what would you say to a parent who is a little bit worried about being disruptive? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if the rosary before Mass, after Mass, you know, I'm probably a unique case. Maybe that's not the ideal place for a family to pray the rosary uh, together. And in fact, I know of people who, you know, uh, I, I love homeschooled families and love families that pray, but I have some friends that were homeschooled that prayed the rosary every day, and now they have a great distaste for the rosary hmm. because of it. And uh, because they're like, this was just forced on us. We prayed it all the time. It didn't mean anything. And so it actually created the opposite effect. Now, maybe that those stories are, are kind of few and far between, but I've seen that happen to people. So I think there has to be a gradual introduction to, to the rosary in the lives of families. And maybe it's simply praying one Hail Mary to begin with. Then it evolves into a decade. Maybe then it evolves into praying the rosary um, in the car or at a statue of Mary on your property or something along those lines, you know, sometimes people use the rosary as a punishment. And so they'll be like, you are bad. And so now everybody in this car is going to pray the rosary. <laughs> that creates a negative, uh, that creates a negative impact, uh, or impression about mm -hmm. the rosary then. So I think we just got to be careful how we introduce our young people. Now, and there are some families, uh, I have a couple in mind that I know that they've given their infant, a toddler, a, a little, you know, play rosary mm -hmm. that, you know, he, he chews on and does all this stuff with. But, you know, there's a sense of being able to touch it and kind of play with it now that perhaps as he develops, he'll have a recollection of this. And so yeah. that might be a positive image or enforcement for a young toddler with the rosary. So again, I just think we need to be a little careful, but I, I want families to pray together and to pray the rosary, and it is a family devotion for sure. We're talking today with Father Edward Looney. Uh, he is a member of the, the Mariological Society of America. He's authored a couple of books that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, father, I, I had this experience with uh, with a father in his uh, a, a father of children in his dying days, um, and as he was contemplating, you know, his life and wanting to pass that on, uh, we just happened to be in his vicinity, and he talked about his family praying the rosary every night as a family. But he said this, uh, and this I think profoundly affected how how we approach the rosary in our family. He said. Pray the rosary with your kids, but don't expect them to pray it correctly. Let the yeah. two-year-old wander. Let them uh, let the rosary wash over them, but don't make it something that they have to do correctly and have to do right. And, and you got to sit up straight and not wiggle. And he said, let let the kids be the kids. If they're laying down or hanging off the couch upside down, whatever they're doing, they're around the rosary. And one of the things that just going off what you said of how we have to be careful, I've, I've seen some. Um, who who only pray the rosary in the motions of it, that the words come out of their mouth. But something that you've addressed in this liturgy, in this in this litany rather, is that there's so much more to the rosary than the words. It's how we uh, orient our hearts and how we meditate on these mysteries. And so you've got this book uh, recently republished through our Sunday visitor called A Rosary Litany, where you use the mysteries uh, and in the middle of each Hail Mary, you give a little phrase to help 
orient and uh, and help the person praying and help the family praying uh, to meditate on that specific mystery. Uh, so talk a little bit about the the impetus behind this book uh, and and the the purpose in you uh, in putting this together. Sure. You know, I wrote the book a few years ago and I was actually published by kind of a smaller publisher. And unfortunately, they went out of business. And uh, ultimately, that meant that I wanted the book to continue and had to find somebody. And the people at Our Sunday Visitor were so gracious uh, to realize that the book was still relevant and important and they could introduce it to an even wider audience of people than it was with before. And uh, essentially, uh, a few years ago, well, I always say a few years ago, but now it's probably like five, six years ago by now or longer, a friend of mine called me, and this was one of my friends from the seminary, but he didn't have a devotion to the rosary. And he called me and he said to me, he said that he had just got out of a chapel and he prayed the rosary and he shared with me how he prayed the rosary. He had listened to a talk by Dr. Edward Suri mm -hmm. on, on praying the rosary uh, from Lighthouse Catholic Media. Now, actually, the same title, uh, Praying the Rosary Like Never Before, I think is the title, is now a book of his. And uh, he listened to this talk, and Edward Suri talked about the different ways in which uh, John Paul II promoted the rosary. And uh, it comes from Rosarium Virginis Mariae, also in Paul VI's Mariales Cultus, but ultimately proposed by St. Louis de Montfort in The Secrets of the Rosary was this method of inserting a clause after the name of Jesus as a way to focus the prayer. And so my friend prayed the rosary like that, and he wanted to tell me about that. And, uh, and I started praying it like that, and I said, this is an amazing way to pray the rosary. And what happened was I started to pray the rosary in this fashion. I wrote down my little phrases in my prayer journal that I was using. I sent them to my friend so that he could use them himself. And, and ultimately, I uh, started giving it to different people, friends of mine. And they said, you really should publish this uh, mm -hmm. because this will be a great help to, for people when they pray the rosary. And uh, that's eventually what happened. I went to the Holy Land uh, back in 2014, maybe, and I was there for 10 days or 10 weeks, rather. And uh, we we're studying as seminarians in the Holy Land. And when we would go to the place of the Annunciation in Nazareth or Cana in Galilee or wherever it is for the Rosary Mysteries, I would pray the rosary there. I would pray over the scripture passages. I would just write out the phrases. So, you know, it, it was a long process of doing it, but a very prayerful process of uh, coming to what we, what I now call a rosary litany. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, we, we think of the rosary as being centered on Mary. And yet, the, while the prayer uh, asking for the intercession, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our death, while the prayer is directed towards Mary, the, the meditations of our heart are really the whole gospel. We start with the birth of Jesus. We go through the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, and then there are two mysteries, only two mysteries in the whole rosary that, uh, that deal with Mary. And those mysteries, again, they point to something essential about Christ. Uh, and so it's important for us, I think, to realize that there's more than just saying the words. Uh, this, this does a, a fantastic job because you, some of the clauses you have after blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, uh, and some of them you have, uh, little clauses for us to consider about Mary herself. Yeah. You know, so 
maybe to say a few things about that. First, like I called a litany because what I did was St. Louis de Montfort in, in The Secrets of the Rosary provided these different clauses. He said, you know, for the Annunciation, thy womb Jesus uh, announced by the angel, thy womb Jesus uh, sanctifying for the visitation that John was sanctified in the womb, thy womb Jesus born in poverty for the nativity. And so he had these different phrases that he would use uh, for the uh, for the for the rosary to focus our attention. And I said, well, one isn't enough. We have to have more. And so basically, if you use all 10 at any given time, and as we modify the name of Jesus or modify the name of Mary, well, I thought that it took on a litany-like succession. Mm-hmm. And that's how the rosary is often described, a litany-like succession of prayer. And uh, yeah, as we focus on the name of Jesus and the mystery of Jesus in the rosary, Mary is introducing us to her son. She is helping us to know more and to uncover more about her son and the mystery of our salvation. And uh, that's really what I think this method of praying the rosary with the clauses does for us, that it helps us to appreciate Jesus all the more. We're talking today with Father Edward Looney. He's a priest in the Diocese of Green Bay, author of a new book from Our Sunday Visitor, A Rosary Litany. Go to osv.com, pick that up today. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. This week, I'm asking you to tell me a rosary story, how you practice it or a significant time you encountered it in your life. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Butnam. Today, we're talking with Father Edward Looney, author of A Rosary Litany, now available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Uh, tomorrow, of course, is the Feast of the Holy Rosary, so it's time to, uh, to pull it out, maybe uh, for the first time in a while, and pray the rosary. If you need help, of course, just Google how to pray a rosary and it will pop up. Uh, but most important, more than the prayers, more than the the, the logistics of how to go through uh, each bead and what to say where, is how do we orient our hearts and our minds uh, on the mysteries of Christ's life and death and resurrection and what that means for us. And a great way to do that, to figure that out, is to pick up this book, A Rosary Litany, from our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Father Edward, thank you for being with us today. It's always a pleasure. And uh, to talk about the rosary, to talk about our Mother Mary. So tomorrow is the Feast of the Holy Rosary. You were telling me during the break that you had a, a specific, when you think of the rosary, you have a specific encounter in mind where you sat down and, and really had a, just a profound encounter with that prayer Talk to us about that experience. Sure. You know, it just happened a little bit over a month ago now. But I'll tell you, I've prayed the rosary all throughout the world. I've I've been uh, to the Grotto of Masabiel in Lourdes, France. I've been to Fatima, to the Cova de Ira. I've prayed the rosary at my own Marian apparition site in my backyard called the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help. So I've prayed the rosary lots of different places with lots of different people, with large groups and gatherings. But yet there's one very intimate experience of the rosary that I had that I, I say will stay with me 
for the rest of my life. I'll never forget it. Uh, we had a very kind of tragic death uh, in my parish uh, about a month ago, but tragic in the sense that the person was so young, but we knew that the death was coming. He is a 35-year-old husband and father of four children, all under the age of seven. Mm. And uh, I had been journeying and walking with him for the past several months. And uh, as he was dying of colon cancer, and when I was with him uh, in his last days, uh, actually the last hours of his life, uh, we prayed the rosary in the hotel room. His death was like none other that I had experienced. I've been to lots of different uh, homes or bedsides of people dying. And usually, especially in these cases, their lungs begin to fill up with fluid. They can't talk. They're gasping for air. But uh, this man, he was with us until the very end. And he was talking and conversive. And uh, it was so powerful. And I anointed him. And the family was very faithful. And it was the first time that when I went in to anoint somebody, that uh, the family, you know, they, they knelt down on the floor and we just prayed together. Mm-hmm. And uh, after I anointed and did the, administered the apostolic pardon commendation of the dying, you know, we were still there and uh, Andy was still with us and talking. And, but then uh, after a little time, his mother goes over to his bedside and says, you know, Andy, can we pray the rosary? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he said, yes. And so uh, there we are, we're praying the rosary, and uh, he's praying with us. He's praying the Hail Mary prayer with us. And this is, you know, less than eight hours before he died. And uh, we're all kneeling there at the bedside. We're praying the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary because it was Tuesday night. And, uh, but really also just a very sorrowful occasion. Yeah. He was coughing a lot. And uh, as he was coughing, you know, stuff would come out. And his, his, his wife would go over and wipe his face with face with a cloth, and so as as we're praying, for example, the fourth mystery of the of the sorrowful mysteries, uh, the carrying of the cross, recalling how Veronica wiped the face of Jesus, and really as she went over and wiped his face, I saw Veronica in her, mm-hmm. and um, you know when we prayed the Fatima prayer, lead all souls to heaven. That was my prayer. I'm like, this is why we're praying. We want him now to be led by Almighty God, by, by the Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd, into eternal life. And as uh, we prayed the Hail Mary, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And we knew that death was looming, that it was you know, within hours. And it really was a very powerful experience of the rosary. And it's, it's just one that, I've, that has stayed with me, and I'm never going to forget. But... Uh, what happened after the rosary then was that uh, this young man goes into a litany of thanksgiving. He thanked everybody in the room. He thanked God for the blessings of his life. He thanked his mother and me. And then everybody else went around and we shared our own thanksgiving for him and, and as we prayed for him. And so it was a very moving encounter of prayer and kind of the icing on the cake uh, of this whole experience was that in the last seconds of his life, he, he became agitated. He started calling out for help. He said, I think I'm dying. And then he said the name of Jesus, hmm. and he took his last breath. And it wasn't like when he said the name of Jesus, it was as if he was meeting someone for the very first time. And so, yeah. you know, it was just a very, it was a very holy death, a very spiritual uh, experience especially surrounding the rosary as we joined him and his family in prayer at that time. 
Yeah. You know, as you talk about this story, and, and I talked in the last segment about my experience with someone who is in the last months of their life, uh, this to me is the reason that we have that phrase, memento mori, right? Remember your death, not in a macabre way, but in a way that says, what's really going to matter when I get to the end? Uh, and then to let that form the way that we, the way that we pray, the way that we live our lives. To I love the story of the the litany of gratitude of realizing that there's all kinds of things that we can complain about from day to day. But if we really took the time to remember our death, memento mori, we would take more time being grateful for the things that God's put in front of us. Now you mentioned uh, before we got into that story a little bit of. Um, the different places that you've prayed the rosary in Lourdes and in Fatima. And, and you said right in your backyard. And at first I thought you meant in your actual backyard, but no, there's a, there's an apparition, um, our lady of good help. And so talk just as briefly as possible about what the different apparitions are for someone who might not know. And then talk to us specifically about what is this apparition, our lady of good help. And what do we need to know about that? How can we uh, foster that devotion? Sure. So sometimes I actually do pray the rosary in my backyard, not because there's an apparition of Mary, but <laughs> my church has a very beautiful grotto, a Lourdes grotto. But atop the grotto is uh, the crucifixion scene with uh, John and Mary there. And so it's a very beautiful place to pray. And as you mentioned, to remember our own death by praying in a cemetery. So, But these apparitions of Mary, all throughout time, the Blessed Mother has been appearing. It's as if heaven was sending her to give us a message. And so she comes to earth, appears to visionaries, most often children, but a few times some adults. And uh, when she gives these messages, it's always about the spiritual renewal of the people, of turning back to God, the sacraments, of really remembering what's the most important things in our life, of really Mm -hmm. saying, I want to choose heaven, and I want to live for heaven as if it's here already right now. Mary appeared uh, to Juan Diego uh, in, in Tepeyac in Mexico, uh, known as Our Lady of Guadalupe. And there they were sacrificing uh, their children to pagan gods. And Mary said, I am the mother of the true and living God, and uh, goes on to give a little message, you know, am I not your mother? Uh, and the message continued. She appeared to Bernadette Subaru in 1858, saying, I am the Immaculate Conception. And then Bernadette's digging because the Blessed Mother tells her to dig, and she finds this miraculous spring of healing water. I'll be in Lourdes next week and uh, for, for a retreat that I'll be doing there. And so, um, you know, just a very powerful place of prayer. In Fatima, the three shepherd children, uh, Francisco, Jacinta, and Lucia, receive an apparition of Mary, and she says, pray the rosary every day for peace in the world. So there's all these different apparitions. could name a, a lot more, Barang and Bono, but here in the United States, so lots of these places, you got to get on a plane, you have to fly across the, the tra- you know, take the transatlantic flight and get there, and... Um, but we have a site here in the United States. You could drive there. Yes, you could fly there. But Mary appeared in 1859 to a woman named Adele Brees. And uh, when Mary appeared to her, she was 28 years old, uh, Adele was. And uh, she was a, a lay woman. She had a desire for religious life, but immigrated from Belgium, hadn't yet entered a religious congregation. And uh, she had this appar- she had three apparitions of Mary, but in the very final one, the third one, Mary spoke to her, and Mary told her, "I'm the Queen of Heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners, and I wish you to do the same." You received mm-hmm. Holy Communion this morning, and that as well 
but you must do more. Make a general confession. Offer your communion for the conversion of sinners. For if they do not convert and do penance, my son will be obliged to punish them. She was uh, accompanied by her sister and a friend, and they said, Adele, who is it? Why can't we see her as you do it? And she says, Neil, the woman says she's the, the blessed mother. And so the, the girls knelt, and Mary said, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Hmm. Then Adele was asked the question, Why are you standing here in idleness while your companions are working in the vineyard of my son? Mary said to her, or Adele said, Well, what can I do? I know so little. And Mary said, Gather the children. Teach them what they need to know for salvation, how to make the sign of the cross, how to approach the sacraments. This is what I wish you to do. Go and fear nothing. I will help you. So that was literally all that Mary spoke there, a very short dialogue that Adele had with her, but it changed the course of her life. She dedicated herself to teaching the children. She went on to found a lay group of sisters, so she was often called Sister Adele. She wore a habit. And uh, there's a miracle that happened on uh, October 8th, so 12 years after the apparition to the very eve of the anniversary. And uh, a fire broke out, and it began to threaten the area, and people flocked there, and they prayed. They processed with the statue. They prayed the rosary. And on the morning of October 9th, they realized everything had been burnt around them except for where they were standing. Hmm. And so they sought refuge at Our Lady's shrine, and there they experienced her protection. And, uh, and so very powerful stories. And even to this day, people go there, and they experience many different graces. I think really there might be three key graces associated with the shrine, in my opinion. The first would be the grace of conversion. That's what Mary said. She said who she was, the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners, and she wanted Adele to do the same. So lots of people in our life, ourselves included, need conversion. Maybe this is the place to pray for that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, the grace of catechesis, uh, to really learn the faith, to be taught the faith, to be taught morality. Maybe that's another grace of the apparition. And the third would be the grace of healing, that people have gone there and they've prayed and they've experienced inexplicable healings. And, uh, and so it's a, a wonderful place for that grace. They do uh, several healing services um, throughout the year. Uh, one a month, they anoint people on the ninth of each month. And then uh, Father Ubald, who is a very popular healing priest from Rwanda, he comes and he does healing services there as well. So uh, I think that's a particular grace uh, associated with the shrine too. We've been talking today with Father Edward Looney. Find out more about his books and how you can acquire them over at edwardlooney.com. You've also got a Twitter, Father. How would people follow you there? Sure. So on the Facebook and Twitter, I'm at FR Edward Looney. And so they can give a like or give a follow and they can see the content that I uh, put out. There's more to this conversation with Father Edward Looney available to those who support Outside the Walls through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show link, and you can see the various tiers and levels that you can support the show at and the various rewards you get for being a supporter, including extra segments each and every week. Find us on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls, on Twitter, the handles at OutsideTheWalls, and join the conversation. This week we're talking about experiences with the rosary. Tell me a rosary story. There's much more to come right after this as we dive into scripture in our reading from church history. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we talked with Father Edward Looney about the rosary. Uh, He is a priest in the Diocese of Green Bay, an author of of a a number of fantastic books about Mary. Uh, He's a member of the Mariological Society of America and uh, author of a book now on Our Sunday Visitor called A Rosary Litany. We talked about that earlier in the show. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with some friends, have no fear, it's archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And during the break, I made a decision. Uh, We stay on the air because of supporters who love what we do and want to see it continue. And they support us through Patreon by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the Patreon link, and giving as little as $5 a month. Uh, It keeps us going week after week. And so the decision I've made is this. If you uh, have been holding off on that, you've been waiting and not quite sure if that's something that you wanted to do or not, you know, it's, it's as little as a cup of coffee a month. If you will come and join our numbers this month, in the month of October, the month of Mary, the month of the rosary, then I'm going to put this rosary litany in your hands as uh, an initial gift of thanks. And then those gifts of thanks don't stop because week after week we produce extra content, uh, extra segments with our guests, sometimes just a little bit of extra here or there. Uh, for your consumption and your enjoyment. So go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Support the Show link. It'll take you to Patreon. Uh, Look at the level that you're comfortable in supporting us, and I will send you this beautiful prayer, this beautiful copy of A Rosary Litany from our Sunday visitor, OSV.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, and I think that it tells us a little bit about our prayer life. The 72 disciples returned rejoicing and said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us because of your name. Jesus said, I have observed Satan falling like lightning from the sky. Behold, I have given you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. At that very moment, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Turning to the disciples in private, he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I say to you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it's juxtaposed on this day against a reading from Job, which I find fascinating. The reading from Job talks about uh, how I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. And I've dealt with things that are, uh, that I do not understand that are too wonderful me, which I cannot know. I've heard of you by word of mouth, but now my eye has seen you. And uh, I love this picture uh, of the juxtaposition first, because we should have both attitudes. We should have the attitude of Job saying, 
you know, this life is too big for me. The things that I am experiencing, I don't understand. Uh, these, these heavenly realities are beyond my grasp. And so I defer to your wisdom, God. And in the rosary, we say that. That was my experience with the rosary early on that I really had that profound experience was that this life that I am experiencing is is beyond my capacity to understand and certainly beyond my capacity to control. But in praying, and specifically in praying the rosary, I acknowledged God's lordship. I acknowledged the role of Jesus, and I stood back and let God be God, right? This is what Job is doing. But then in the, in the gospel in Luke, we see that the disciples have been given some of that authority as well to go out and to proclaim liberty to the captive and to, uh, to go out and heal the sick. And Jesus tells them, be, be happy, rejoice, but do it not because uh, you have this newfound power, but because you are loved and you are saved. And so even as we uh, experience this, this baptismal call and live that out, we still have to come in humility and rejoice not because of the things that we accomplish through our prayer, but rejoice in the surpassing greatness of, of Christ's act on the cross and how that reconciled us to God the Father. Our reading from church history today comes from The Secret of the Rosary by St. Louis de Montfort. The chief concern of the Christian should be to tend to perfection, be faithful imitators of God, as his well-beloved children, the great apostle tells us. This obligation is included in the eternal decree of our predestination as the one and only means prescribed by God to attain everlasting glory. St. Gregory of Nyssa makes a delightful comparison when he says that we are all artists and that our souls are blank canvases which we have to fill in. The colors which we use are the Christian virtues, and the original, which we have to copy, is Jesus Christ, the perfect living image of God the Father. Just as a painter who wants to do a lifelike portrait places the model before his eyes and looks at it before making each stroke, so the Christian must always have before his eyes the life and virtues of Jesus Christ so as never to say, think, or do anything which is not in conformity with his model. It was because Our Lady wanted to help us in this great task of working out our salvation that she ordered St. Dominic to teach the faithful to meditate upon the sacred mysteries of the life of Jesus Christ. She did this, not only that they might adore and glorify him, but chiefly, that they might pattern their lives and actions on his virtues. Children copy their parents through watching them and talking to them, and they learn their own language through hearing them speak. An apprentice learns his trade through watching his master at work. In the same way, the faithful members of the confraternity of the Holy Rosary can become like their divine master if they study reverently and imitate the virtues of Jesus which are shown in these mysteries of his life. They can do this with the help of his grace and through the intercession of his blessed mother. Long ago, Moses was inspired by God to command the Jewish people never to forget the graces which had been showered upon them. The Son of God has all the more reason to command us to engrave the mysteries of his life, passion, and glory upon our hearts 
and to have them always before our eyes, since each mystery reminds us of his goodness to us in some special way. And it is by these mysteries that he has shown us his overwhelming love and desire for our salvation. O oh, all you who pass by, pause a while, he says, and see if there has ever been any sorrow like to the sorrow I have endured for love of you. Be mindful of my poverty and humiliations. Think of the gall and the wormwood I took for you in my bitter passion. These words, and many others which could be given here, should be more than enough to convince us that we must not only say the rosary with our lips in honor of Jesus and Mary, but also meditate upon the sacred mysteries while we are saying it. That reading comes from St. Louis de Montfort out of the book, The Secret of the Rosary. You can get your own copy by going online to Tan Books. Uh, They've reprinted it, but you can also find it uh, Project Gutenberg. There's a couple of PDFs online for free uh, to take some time and read through this this lovely treatise on, on the rosary and how to best practice it. For me, there are times when I pray the rosary where I am praying for a specific intention. I've got a person in mind, and so... Uh, I, their situation is what, what occupies my mind as I'm, as I'm praying the rosary, as I intercede for their needs. There are times where I am praying the rosary with my children, and what occupies my mind is keeping track of who's supposed to be praying the next uh, portion of the decade and keeping everyone on track and making sure that they are participating in at least the mechanics of the prayer. And of course, before we do that, we talk about their intentions and we talk about who we're praying for and what that's for. Uh, sometimes when I pray the rosary, I've got the, the, the scriptural rosary book in my hand and um, maybe I'm meditating on, am I going to say the right thing at the right time? Am I in the right place? Uh, and all of these things are, are fine uh, because they have a specific purpose, whether it be in praying for a person or praying, uh, helping my kids pray or uh, giving them the tools that they need to meditate. But I think that we have to make sure that we don't lose sight of the original purpose of the rosary to, to basically each week meditate on the whole mystery of Christ's life and death and resurrection, his His life and his passion and his glory. Because in doing that, as St. Louis de Montfort mentioned, we're transformed. It's not just about remembering something long ago, but it's that that painter looking at the model. It's realizing that what we look at, we become. So this week, let's pray the rosary. Let's pray it meditating on the mysteries of Christ's life. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus so that we, transformed by his love, might become like him. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highland and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, become a supporter this month, and get a copy of A Rosary Litany. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.